Good morning. So I was joking with Zach, I think Pastor Mark sounds a lot like Morgan Freeman. Um, he's got a very, very nice voice, so that's awesome, Mark. Um, so I'm very excited. Uh, every time I get asked to come up here and share uh, what God has prepared for me, um, I'm just honored, I'm blessed, privileged, uh, and that is no different today. And I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, but as we've been going through Playbook, as, as Mark kind of unpacked on the first Sunday, um, one thing I am often reminded of is sports. Um, a guy that loves sports, I think of football and all the, the routes that receivers run. I think of even in hockey, I had one coach who, who gave us a playbook, and I thought it was kind of silly because he had plays uh, drawn up that there was like a 0.01 chance of ever working. He's like, you're going to dump the puck into the corner, it's going to hit like a piece of plastic sticking out of the boards, bounce into the slot, you're going to have five guys. I was like, okay, so that's a little, little aggressive on the play design, but... Uh, that's what I think of when I think of playbook. And I always love going through it. I love actually getting it, um, sitting down, opening it up, and looking at it. Even watching football, I love to, to look at that and, and see what they're kind of doing um, every play. Another thing, uh, people who don't like sports, Mark, Pastor Mark had mentioned um, crochet books or, or knitting books. I think of cooking. You get your, your ingredients, and, and it explains how you put them all together to create this final concoction that's going to be delicious unless I'm cooking or unless one of the youth are cooking, then probably not so much. Uh, just a little, little poke there. Uh, as the youth pastor, I have the privilege to do that often. Uh, and, and another thing, and men might not understand this, I know I don't, is an instruction manual, right? Like, we don't need those. We got this table from Ikea, Tiana and I, and I looked at the instruction booklet, and I was like, okay, there's four little brackets, there's four legs for the table, the actual table itself. Should be pretty straightforward. So I kind of put the instruction manual aside. I got my little tool from Ikea, and I put the table together. I was pretty proud of myself. I'm like, yeah, look at this. Like, it looks pretty awesome. And we're sitting there about an hour later. The bottom part just hits the floor, and I'm like, oh, should have looked at the instruction manual. So one thing I'm super excited about is as we've been going through Ephesians, in the first three chapters, we've kind of learned about the church and, and God's plan for salvation and grace. And, and how I think of that is, is almost as if he's explaining the playbook. If it's like if you're, if you're an athlete and you're looking at your playbook, the coach explains a bit about himself, maybe his plan for the team, some of his heart towards what he sees as the end goal. And today, we get to actually dive into the plays. So I know myself, I'm kind of a doer, I like to do. Um, I thought of this as like my whole four years of Bible college, I'm learning all this stuff, and I'm like, I just want to go, I want to go, I want to actually do it. So today, that's what we get to do. So as we share today, uh, I think Luke said it's on 952, it might be 958, so you guys can decide who's right and who's wrong on that one, um, but we're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 4. So in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul kind of uses two main themes. If, if you noticed in the background of the scripture reading, there was a lot of people walking. So we walk, um, we get from point A to point B, and it requires your body to walk. And the body is another thing that Paul uses as kind of a metaphoric thing, and he's the only New Testament um, writer who uses the body as a metaphor. So those are two really important things. We'll get to the body in a bit, but I want to start out with walking. So when I think of walking, um, one thing I was reminded of is police. Uh, I heard a really cool story. It was actually a terrible tragedy. There was a, a number of years ago, four RCMP officers were, were killed. And my grandpa was a retired police officer at the time. Uh, he served 35 years, I think, on the force. So he had his dress uniform, and he went and put it on, and um, serving police members and a lot of retired police members gathered together at the Butter Dome, and they all marched down the street um, to pay their respects. And I remember my grandpa saying, 
There's nothing as cool as, as the quiet streets and hearing the boots hit the ground and every officer in unison with each other as they walk. And there's something about it. I know I've been in the mall before, too, where I, I watch and I, I see there's just every now and then you see about five people walking and, and their arms and everything are moving together. And it just kind of takes you for a second. You're like, if one body part was out of place, that would not look nearly as graceful. I know some of the, the youth girls, they all link arms and they like walk and they're just like this squad of, of girls. Um, and that, it's, a, it's a beautiful sight to, to see people walking in unison with each other. And that's kind of what Paul hints at here in, uh, starting in chapter, uh, sorry, verse 1 to 3. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So he starts off in verse 1. He says, as we've heard before in a couple of previous chapters, as a prisoner for the Lord. Now, if you're familiar, Paul wasn't in prison because he went looting one night or he went and terrorized some buildings or started a fire. It wasn't anything like that. Paul was in prison because he brought the truth, the gospel to people in places he wasn't allowed to. Um, but he knew his calling. He knew the importance of it and, and what the difference, the obvious difference it had made in his life. So Paul went and preached to people even though he knew he wasn't supposed to. So he says, as a prisoner for the Lord. So he's behind bars. He's locked up. Most of us would probably regret what we have done, but Paul is proud because he knows what he did it for. So he goes on to say, then, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to do the same, basically. Now, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, that word live, it's really important. Translated into the Greek, that word live literally means walk. So as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. And when we think of walking, like I said, it's point A to point B. There's, there's like this Christian, Christian language that's unspoken Christian language where you're like, hey, how's your walk? Or how are you walking with the Lord? It's no different. And in verse 2, he gets in and he says, be completely humble and gentle. So starting right there, be completely, not just a little bit. Or you know, be 99.5% humble. Be completely humble. And I think it's really important to note why he starts with humility. Because there are a lot of great men and women who receive great calling, great responsibility. Uncle Ben from Spider-Man. You receive this great responsibility, but oftentimes the biggest thing that gets in the way of that is ourselves, our ego. So Paul knew. He starts out with humility. He says, you've got to get over yourself before any of this is going to be relevant, before it's ever going to be useful. You need to be completely humble. That word is translated into like basically lowliness of mind, thinking of yourself as, as nothing. And when you can do that, then you can show gentleness, meekness. I asked the youth, what do you think meek means? And I knew I was going to get some responses, like it means you're weak, which is not a wrong answer. People think that. Um, but what it means to be meek is quiet control, quiet strength, bearing with one another in love. And, and I loved how I, one, one theologian I read says, instead of bearing with, one another, uh, bearing with one another in love, think of it better as putting up with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now you're probably thinking, you're like, okay, so 
Paul's telling us to be completely humble, like maybe I can do that. Be completely gentle. Be patient. Put up with people. That's a challenge. But he's saying there's such importance in this unity of your walk with other believers and other people that he's emphasizing it so much right before he gets into anything else. He says, before any of this matters, you need to be unified as a body of believers. And you're like, how can I do that? You know, like, Joey likes, not your Joey, but Joey likes, <laughs> Joey, Joey likes this kind of music, and I don't. Or, you know, he speaks a way I don't like. Or, you know, she's a little unfriendly. You know, some of those things are true. We have disagreements. We have disagreements. We don't see eye to eye with everyone. But it's so important to remain unified and have unity as a group of believers. And maybe you're like, how do I do that? Well, Paul does give some theological explanation as to how oneness is attainable. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's seven things there. Paul lists seven things that Christians, believers, all have in common. One body. The body. There's not, there's not a, a numerous bodies of Christ. It's not like there's the, the ones over here who like this heavy metal music, and there's not the ones over here who like these things. And there's, there's one body. And each one of us in this congregation today serve that body. People in different congregations, they serve that body. One body. There's one spirit. When Jesus enters our hearts and when, when, he, when he comes into our lives, there's one spirit. There's one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, which is better understood as one gospel. There's only been one man who ever came down, lived a perfect life, died and rose again. Only one. And there's only one baptism, and that is baptism into Christ. And there's one God, one Father, who is all and over all and through all. That is how. Is it challenging? Yes. But Paul, before he gets into any of that, is explaining how important it actually is to be unified as a group. No matter what your difference is, you've got to walk together. Because like I said, if one of those police officers is out of walking, out of line, people notice. It's an important thought. One thing that I think of with all the ones, sports teams. I played on a lot of sports teams. One of my teams, I, I was talking to my parents last night, I said my favorite team uh, was my Bantam AAA year. Uh, we were the Southgate Lions, classic hockey name. You know, there's a lot of members. I was a centerman. We have left wingers. There's defensemen. There's guys who power, on the power play. There's guys who penalty kill. There's some guys who barely played at all because they weren't very good skaters. There was a backup goalie who played far less games than all the other goalie. The other goalie. There's coaches, there's managers, there's trainers, there's parents who pay and drive us and buy lots of new sticks every year. But we all serve one team. So even when one of my friends would get upset or, or, or act out of line, sometimes I wish I did this more, but if we would come together as one for a greater good, that would create unity and create a better team. Think of it as your family. So my last name, Krawchuk. You all have a last name. Think of that. What does that mean to you? I know I have a mom and a dad. I have a sister. 
I have uncles and aunts. And we all share this one name. That we go our separate ways. We all have different abilities. We all share one bathroom, my sister and I at least. And she would be in there for a long time. And I'd be like, Alicia, like school started an hour ago and I need to get in there. And so I'd unplug the curling iron and then that would cause a lot of strife later. But we all have these things in our lives where we can think of. Maybe it's your work. You all serve one purpose. You have one goal. And even though there's disagreances and you, and you, you differ on some things, you know what, that, that one thing that you serve for, you, you walk for, you strive for, you yearn for, that's what's most important. That's what Paul's saying. And in verse 7, it's important. Because in verse 7, Paul kind of says, hey, you. He's addressing the congregation and unity, but now he takes one of those moments where he's like, hey, you. And I remember this, because I'd often sit in class, and I'd sit in the back, and I'd be like drawing some pointless picture. I'd be listening, but like not completely there. And the teacher would say, Ryan. And it's like, whoa, like, better pay attention. And I knew that, that the focus was on me now. And that's kind of what starts to happen here. So Paul starts in verse 7 with an important adversative, which is basically um, to make his point clear. He says, but, and this is where it comes on to us. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So he's saying, yeah, unity is so important. That, first and foremost, unity is the most important thing. We need to be together. But you know what? I'm still going to work through each one of you, each one of us. This is about us. So it says grace, that word grace in your Bibles. Think of it as ministry. So, but to each one of us, ministry has been given as Christ apportioned it. Romans 12, 6 says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. We have different ministries according to the ministry given to each of us. You see, no matter where you're at, no matter who you are, Jesus has ministry for you. God has a ministry for you. He has given you gifts and abilities to serve him and build up his body. No matter who you are, whether you're just here on a Sunday, maybe you don't go to church all the time, maybe you're here every Sunday, and, and then more. God has given every single one of us a ministry, and that's what Paul's going to get at here in a second. And I think of the word gifts. So I was trying to think of some, some gifts that I had in my life that, that meant a lot to me. One of my favorite stories is my dad had, far before I, I was ever around, he had this 22 rifle, I'm not a gun guy, but he would go, they would shoot gophers and stuff on the, on the farm. So this was his, his gun. And uh, so one, one Christmas, he's, he's excited, he's probably this little guy, I, mean, I don't know, I wasn't around, but he went to open it, and he's just all excited, and he opens the box, and as he uncovers it, he sees his 22 rifle that his, my, my grandma gave to him, even though it was already his. So go, here's, here's your gun for Christmas. Enjoy it. <laughs> Great. So my dad often joked, it's like, oh, I got a Christmas gift that was already mine. But it's the thought that counts, I guess. And I was trying to think of some gifts in my, in my own life that, that meant a lot to me. I had a friend, he got this really expensive skateboard. And he brought it to school, I remember in grade seven, and there was a, a bunch of us, well, I was, I was kind of a poser kid, I kind of stood there and pretended. Um, but there was a lot of skateboard kids, and there was one kid who couldn't afford one. So he would always just hang around and watch. He never had his own skateboard. And one day my friend, with his brand new skateboard that he just got for Christmas, gave it to this, this kid. He said, you know, you can have it. And, and, and in receiving that gift, he then on gave, it to someone, uh, gave it to someone else to better their life. That's important to remember. What ministry do you have? 
because each one of us has one. Paul then jumps into Psalm 68, 18. He actually quotes it. And he says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So he's focusing again there on he gave gifts to his people. And what happens next here can confuse some people in verses 9 to 10, but it is important. There's what's called a parenthetical comment or a parenthetical expression, which is basically a phrase or, or a, a, a comment that dif, uh, d- differentiates from a different one and, and kind of leads. It's almost like Paul's watching. I know Mark referenced it last week where it's like he's, he's writing and he's focused and he kind of sees this bird fly by. and He's like, oh, like there's a bird distracted for two verses. But he says, what does he ascended mean? except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, the important part there is the ascension. And what I think of is Philippians chapter 2, where we read about how, how, you know, even though he was God, Jesus didn't think of that as something to cling to. Instead, he came down to earth as a servant, a peasant, if you will, Lower than, than the lower social classes. He, he went even lower than that. He lived like you and I. And then he died. And because of his faithfulness, he was raised and, and given the name above all other names. And now, he gives his gifts to his people. And that's such an important thing. So Paul kind of hits on those, these, those four verses. And then he jumps right in here. Where he says in uh, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now that whole sentence, actually these next six sentences in the Greek, there's no punctuation, it's just one long sentence. They all link. But starting here, so he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, the pastors. So maybe you're sitting there and you're like, okay, so the apostles, the pastors, the prophets, teachers, evangelists, I'm not any of those things, so I'm good. And that's not at all what he's saying. See, in verses 7, we read about how God gave gifts to his people. But here in verse 11, he's giving people as gifts to his church. So apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, all so important. But you see, they're here in verse 12 to equip his people for works of service. That's each one of us, myself included, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I think that that's, that's, that's an important thought because, you know, a lot of people, uh, we, we come to church and we sit down and we listen to the songs, we listen to the music, and we get in our cars and we go home until next Sunday. There's a lot of responsibility placed on pastors and evangelists, and those people mention there sometimes, and it's like, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy the ride. See, Christianity is a shared faith. As body of believers, as that body, we know how every single piece of that body is so important. When I hurt my knee last year, everything else was affected. When I hurt my back and I get teased around the office because I'm walking like the leaning tower of Ryan, and I'm walking around, everything feels it. If one of your, uh, if one of your, 
your organs isn't working properly, you get sick. Every single one of us is important. And those people are given to equip for service, to equip the saints, and ultimately reaching for unity. So we read about in, in verse 3 how unity is basically given to us by the Spirit. So when we accept Jesus and when we come into this, this relationship with him, we are given unity with each other, whether we pay attention to that or not, we are given unity with each other through his Spirit. But then in verse 13, he says, until we all reach unity. He's placing the emphasis on how we must continue to strive for that unity. As human beings, we mess up. We're selfish. We make poor decisions. We do just come to church on Sundays and sit there and then go home. We need to come together. And I think the next part's really important. And in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the measure of the fullness of Christ. So when you hear knowledge, you might think of, okay, so John 3.16, go. 1 Peter 4.13, go. Now who, who is Solomon? Like all this knowledge. And that's great, fantastic. I strive for a day. And I will continue to work to get there. I strive for a day where I can read a verse and connect it to 15 others instantly. Knowledge is important. Knowing that book, the Bible, is so important. But you see, the knowledge he's talking about is to actually experience Christ, to know him, to walk with him, to have him be your everything. When you're weak, knowledge in him is knowing he can lift you up. That's the knowledge that he's talking about here. It's not, it's not book knowledge, it's life knowledge. And what does maturity mean? I think of this often, I'm like, okay, so I was called immature a lot when I was a kid. Still, the, the youth tease me because I make bad puns all the time. Uh, Chloe actually prayed today in her prayer that I wouldn't make a pun during my sermon, so I won't. But um, I think of maturity. What does that look like? We all have different opinions on maturity. Is it, is it how long we've been around? Is it what we've experienced? Is it our age? Is it our education? What is maturity? In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, it says, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. See, this verse is important to remember. It, it, Paul is placing an urgency on all of this in the here and now. He wants us to reach this adult maturity, this fullness in Jesus. He wants us to experience him, have this knowledge, this 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 knowledge that can span from the east to the west of, of experiencing Christ personally. And when we do that, to have unity with each other and use those, those, those gifts of service to serve each other, to serve others, to serve people who might not know him yet. And here's what he gets at here in verse 14. It says, then, in order that, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So that then, think of it as in order that, so that, so all of that, so that we will no longer be infants tossed by the waves. And I, I think of that and I'm like, okay, I think of this massive tree just like being blown back and forth and it's being tossed around by the wind and branches are breaking off and the trunk is, is coming close to snapping. I think of being in the waves and in the water I know there, I was at the, the water park when I was a kid and there was one of those, those big wave pool things that you all know at the West Edmonton Water Park. And uh, 
there was one little guy in there and the poor little guy was just like going under the waves and they were just like taking him back and just tossing him around and the second he would kind of regain composure after one of them, another one would come along and the poor little guy was finally just like, some people stepped in and we helped him. But that's what I think of. Immaturity in our faith. Being a child, being an infant, being a baby in our faith, not knowing, not understanding, not experiencing. And the thing to remember here, that doesn't necessarily mean, when I talked about maturity, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've only been a Christian for a week or a month or three months. This could be talking about someone who's been in a congregation and a believer for 60 years. And it's important to notice the contrast as he jumps into verse 15. It says, instead, speaking in the, the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, there's contrast there. In, in the previous verses, it lists, it lists infancy. Now you see maturity. Tossed around versus being joined, held. Being deceived versus hearing truth. Crafty people versus loving people, serving others. And I love what it says about speaking in truth and love. Because you see, truth without love can be harsh. And love without truth can be a little loose and a little, uh, a little weak. But mixed together, speaking truth and love, all those things are attainable as we learn and as we experience Christ together. And one thing that I was thinking of is uh, there was, there's an illustration, and I was talking about people who might have been part of a congregation for 60 years. Maybe you're a believer and, and you know, maybe you've, you've, you do believe these things, um, but you, maybe you're having a hard time looking. What is my ministry? What are my gifts? See, these, these gifts, we are called to do them. Christianity is a shared faith. There's no kind of thing where it's like, you know what, some people will do these things, but some people are kind of just, they get off the hook for free, and, and you know, you can just live your life and let other people do the work. This is a body, and this body needs every single part of it moving in, in, in unison with each other, working together so that Christ's body may be built up. I think of a building, and I think of how people add to the building, and there's always added pieces, new believers coming in, and they're added, and, and, and there's construction workers needed. My dad often gets jokes because he works for the city about how city workers, there's like 15 of them and only one's working. Or construction workers, we all drive by the sites where there's like 30 construction workers and there's like 28 of them have their hands on their shovels like this and there's two guys just like sweating buckets, shoveling and the other guys are just like, oh, pretty nice day out here. More work gets done and more beautiful buildings, more beautiful sites are built when every single person is working. That is efficiency. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're one of those people who you, you, you don't even know what your gifts are, but maybe you've just kind of become complacent and you're comfortable sitting in your pew. Or maybe not sitting in your pew at all and, and you're, you want more. I think of a story I heard where it's like you're on a beach and as you walk out into the water, you're okay and, and, and you get out actually quite far. And the farther you get out, the farther you get out, you can still stand. And people are on the beach and they're looking at you and they're like, look at how far out he is. But in all reality, you haven't gone any deeper. You're still standing on the sandbar. And at a certain point, you are going to step off. I'm not going to do it, but you will step off the ledge. And you're going to need to know how to swim. 
And if you don't know how to swim, then you're going to get in trouble. You're going to be unequipped. This is all such important stuff. So you know, what does that look like? What does the body of Christ look like? You see, I have, not every single person is going to get up here and do what I'm doing right now. Not every single person is going to go to Kenya and Africa and Asia and, and South America and, and go minister to people from, from remote people groups. Not everyone's going to do that. I'm one of the worst administrative guys of all time. I'm not going to like plan books and, and, and be the numbers guy. Brenda's cringing right now. That's not, that's not my ministry. I need to get better at it, but it's not my ministry. What does the body of Christ look like? Just like our body. I look down, I see two legs, I see my arms, I have eyes, I have ears, I have all this stuff behind me that I can't actually see. If, if Christ's body was just a bunch of eyes, we'd all look kind of, if our body was just a bunch of eyes, we'd all look kind of weird, awkward. It's like, hey, there's that eye guy who's just a bunch of eyes. But you know, that's, that's not how it's supposed to be. There are many different parts that make up the body, and that is just like us. You know, going back to unity, I've talked so much about how it's so important to have unity. Last year, I tore my ACL pretty good in my left knee. I was playing hockey, and I thought I could do something I used to be able to do, so I cut in really hard, and my knee went backwards, and I heard a noise I wasn't supposed to hear. And I was out for like a year. And when I got back, my knee was still kind of injured, and of course, I'm like one of those guys who's like, I'm fine, so I'll go run. So as I was running with this bad, uh, bad knee, I finished, and I, my right leg was just throbbing, and my back hurt, and I just couldn't figure it out. And because my left leg wasn't working properly, I had to put strain on my right leg, and my back hurt as a result. One part of my body wasn't working properly, and the others felt it, and they were strained. They were put to greater test, and ultimately, I was in pain. It's the same thing. Our body has to be in unison. We have to work in unity. I think of us as a bunch of sticks kind of just being blown around in his campsite. And you know what? Jesus is that twine. He's that twine that wraps around the bundle, makes us all one, and keeps us held together. And if one stick gets out, that bundle is no longer the full bundle it should be. Now there's missing pieces. One of the things that I thought of, and, and this, is, this is the thing, is this is all for each and every one of us sitting in here today. You look to your right and your left, you see people you care about. Maybe they're people you don't know. This is your responsibility. Christianity is a shared faith. And we all have to do our parts. And something that I've been so reminded of, as, we, as, as we've been working on the next team, I've been asked and privileged to be working for the last year on this next team you've all heard about, where we're trying to like, you know, prayerfully discern what, what it is that God actually has for us here at West Meadows. And you know, as I've been doing that, and as we've been working on, as part of this team, I've seen all these numbers, and I've seen all these these, these stats, and, and, but what I can't just get out of my mind is as I leave this church every single day and I drive down those streets and I see people in Lewis Estates when I go to McDonald's every day and all those other things, I see these people that don't know Jesus. Thousands of people. Everywhere you go in the city, not just here, everywhere you go in the city, you get on a plane, you fly over a lot of land, you think how many millions and millions and millions of people that are beneath you, around you, in your workplaces, in your families, how many people there are that don't know Jesus. It's troubling. One of the, one of the reasons I named the, we named the youth group Rooted, we were praying about it. There is a shocking, shocking stat of how many young adults leave the church when they go to college. 
We need to be rooted. And that's a sorry, that's one of those Paul thoughts where I see these birds. But but as the as the as we as we drive around and see in our family and we see we see these people in our neighborhoods, you know what, if this body, if 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 we're not functioning together as the church, how we should be, are we really at our full capacity for those who don't know him? I have, I have loved ones that come to my mind right now that it just breaks my heart in half that they don't know this truth, this peace that I've experienced. And I want the same thing for, for everyone. And this body, it needs to be functioning. That last line there is that every ligament supports each other. Without ligaments, as I know, your body doesn't work properly. Everything is important. So I challenge you. What is your role in building the body of Christ? And I know that can be scary because I I know what it's like to sit and be comfortable watching other people work. I'm a millennial. I get it. But what is your role in building the body of Christ? One thing that broke my heart. Two weeks ago, I I had the, the honor of teaching in a junior high school. We went in there and we taught what's called the Heroes Program. And what it is, is it's basically a program that uses a bottle of water, and the first day you hold it up, and you're like, watch this. And they're like, it's a water bottle. And I'm like, no, it's your gifts and abilities for junior high school. But by the end of the week, I would hold up the water bottle, and they're all like, it's your gifts and abilities. But I'll never forget, on the first day, there was one girl. Her name was Sarah. And I asked her, I said, so what do you think you're good at? We went around sharing, and some kids were soccer, Fortnite, which is a video game, uh, writing, drawing, all these things. And then I came around to Sarah, and I asked her, I said, what are you good at? She says, nothing. I'm worthless. I'm junk. I have nothing to offer. And the thing is, I actually knew she, she believed that. So I went home that night, and I prayed for Sarah, and I, I went back the next day, and I continued to go back, and by the last day, she would not leave me alone. <laughs> she's talking to me, and she's sharing with me. And the cool thing was, is on that first day when she said she was good at nothing, this other kid said, no, that's not true. That's not true at all. You're great at drawing. I've seen your drawings. And she's like, well, you know, maybe. And she flips open her book, and I'm like, you are good at drawing. She, she was beaten down. She didn't know she was worth anything. She didn't know she had anything to offer. And one of her friends picked her up, helped her realize some of her gifts. And maybe that's what we need. We need people to teach, equip, love, welcome people into our homes, Welcome team, worship team, all the things. Maybe it's just being friendly to someone, using your gift of kindness and love on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday night, on a Tuesday afternoon, to love people. Maybe that's the difference maker in strengthening the body. Maybe that's one bicep curl by you using your gift. And for those of you who might not know, you're like, I, just, I, I don't know if I have any gifts. You do. It's God's promise. You do have gifts. You have ministry, whatever that looks like. I think of it this way, and I'll leave you with this. As God is this, this masterful artist. In Ephesians 2.10, my favorite verse, it helped me for, for my self-image reasons, um, but in, in the NLT, we read about how we are God's masterpiece. In, in other translation, it's workmanship. You know, I think of this masterful artist, and he's got his palette of these colors, And in the following verse, it says, we are created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good works he planned for us long ago. 
We heard in that song, before we were anything, he, he was speaking over us. So he knows your gifts, he knows your abilities, he knows each and every one of our gifts, our abilities, our talents, our ministries, what we're going to do, what we're not going to do. He knows that. We have to become mature in him, have knowledge in him, and we can find those things out. But I think, I think of God with his palette. And you know, there's red and there's blues and there's these yellows and there's these other colors. And for Chloe and for, for Zach and for every single one of us in here, he dips his brush in these different colors, each one of us different, and he just paints a big streak across the canvas. And you see that your color, your gifts, your abilities, your ministry is different than each and every one of us. We are all created as his masterpiece. You know what, but that, that final art, that final masterpiece, that painting, doesn't look nearly as beautiful without your specific shade, your specific color. So I challenge you with that. We need to love each other. We need to walk together. If one part of the body is out, everyone's going to notice. We have to come together. We have to be strong. Loving one another and using our gifts, our abilities to keep adding bricks, adding pieces to the building, the body of Christ that he is building up through his church. Will you join me in prayer? God, I just thank you for the, this opportunity. Thank you for uh, just this word that you've given just pray, God, that each and every person sitting here, whether they know you or they don't, God, uh, would just know what you have in store for them. You're a loving God, and you've, you've given, you've chosen, God, to use each one of us, even though you don't have to. I just thank you for, for each one of these people gathered here today and uh, just what they have to offer. Some, some things you've placed on their hearts, God, I just pray that they would find the ability, find the resources, that we as a church as members of this church, would find ways to, to love better, support better, so that we could all find out what it is you have for us, God, and that West Meadows and this church in Jesus Christ would be known around the world. We thank you for this opportunity, God, and we ask this all in your perfect name.